Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon. So let's turn on our Bibles as we begin this short series, looking at some of the songs or some of the passages that inspire songs and readings at this time of year. And this morning we're turning to the book of the prophet Isaiah, because of course the prophet Isaiah is one of the main books of the Bible that have inspired readings. We're going to be going to the Episcopal Church um, for our service of nine lessons and carols on the 8th of December, and this is one of the readings that is given. And we're going to read from verse 1 to verse 7 of Isaiah chapter 9. And the prophet writes this, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of a deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. But to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of the greatness of his government and the peace there will be no end. He will reign in David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I shared this with you before, but when I was in Mount Vernon and Carmel, um, one of the, the, the things that I used to do in November when I was going into the Presbytery meeting, the Presbytery of Glasgow that met in November, met, I think, the second Tuesday in November, a bit like the Presbytery of the United Free Church, I used to take in the two people that would take from Carmel and from Kemure and we'd drive through, well, go up onto the, the main road and drive through Shettleston. And we used to see if we could spy out who had their Christmas decorations up first. Having come from the south side of Glasgow, um, one's decorations didn't usually appear to December, but in Shettleston, they would appear in November. And we used to count to see how many folk had their decorations up. And I always remember, as you go along Shettleston Road, towards the, towards the past the, the kind of more posher part, the east bank end of Shettleston, and as you drove along to the, 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 the sort of junction with, um, Kill, um, what's it called again, the street, Cullen Street and all the rest of it, there's a big tenement block, sort of post-war, sort of 1920s, 1930s tenement block. And I tell you, and it still is the case, some folk went to town. There are little concrete balconies that even in a sunny day looked rather grey and depressing, were suddenly transformed into Santa's grotto. And this was only the 8th of November. Um, you know, and, and, and the lights and everything. 
And, and, and actually, it was ironic that actually in some of the most gloomy bits, as you drove into Parkhead and drove into Glasgow, and some parts are quite gloomy and quite needy in that area of the city of Glasgow, yet in the midst of the grime and of the concrete and of the, the weeds and the kind of rundown appearance, unfortunately, of many of the buildings, there were windows full of light. Whereas if you drove out to the suburbs to Clapster, where I was assistant minister and all the rest of it, you wouldn't see them until December. I wonder why. Perhaps it has a lot to do with the fact that if you're living in somewhere that isn't very that nice, not in the leafy suburbs or somewhere like Uddingston even, if you have a lot of other things going on in your life that are pretty gloomy and dark and, and maybe filled with real despair, then this time of year gives you the opportunity to put on the lights, to brighten things up. And even for a few weeks or a couple of months in the middle of this dark time of year, you have the opportunity at least to try to forget about it and to transform your environment, to transform the situation in which you live with Santa's grotto. I generally believe that is one of the reasons why you see all that happening in November. Whereas in many of the more leafy areas, Traditionally, the Christmas tree and decorations didn't go up till Christmas Eve. We live in a society where there is great darkness. The context of this passage, and it's important, usually when these verses are read, uh, a service of nine lessons and carols, or even myself perhaps in watch night service and things like that, you read verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of a deep darkness, a light has dawned. And then you jump on to, for us a child is born, to us a son is given. But it's important to understand for us, as we gather in this period when we enter into Christmas, and when really since September the shops have been selling Christmas, and we come to a time of year where we've got Christmas in one hand, at one point we thought we are going to have the Christmas tree up and sing some carols, for the hustings for the general election. We decided to separate that, and that's not going to be the case. But we live in a time where so much is happening, and so much confusion, and so much pushing of Christmas as a time to spend, and a time for just indulging. It's important as God's people we understand the context. The context is that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. If you want to flick back to Isaiah chapter 8, and you'll see how, what that darkness is like. Isaiah's given the job, actually, of having three children. And these three children, each are given different names. One of them is Emmanuel, God with us, and that's in Isaiah 7. Before that, he has another son, Sher Jashub, I think that's how it's pronounced, which means a remnant will return. And then in chapter 8, he's given another child named, oh dear, verse 3, Mahar Shahal Hashbaz. And fortunately, at the bottom of my Bible, that tells you what that means, which says, quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil. His three children are all going to be a witness to what God is doing. The God who will be with them, but the God who will be with his people in a time of plunder, in a time of war, in a time of stress, in a time of strength. God who meets with his people in the midst of the calamities and the upheavals of life. And these calamities and upheavals are happening because of this. Verse 11 of chapter 8. This is what the Lord says to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. Do not call conspiracy 
everything this people calls a conspiracy. Does that not ring bells with fake news and everything else in the 21st century? Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. He will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. He will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, He will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble. They will fall and be broken. They will be captured and snared. Bind up this testimony of warning and seal up God's instruction among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the descendants of Jacob and I will put my trust in him. He goes on to say, here am I and the children the Lord has given me. We are signs and symbols on Israel from the Lord Almighty who dwells on Mount Zion. And then verse 19, when someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. And then they will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. My friends, when you go home, take time and take your Bible out and read those verses from Isaiah chapter 8. If that is not a statement and a testimony to Britain and to the Western world in the 21st century, I don't know what is. People filled with fear. People consulting all sorts of things, including the occult and the dark things of the spirit in order to find meaning and direction and guidance in life. People who live under the fear of global warming. It is an issue. It is an issue. I'm not saying it's not. But live under the fear of global warming. They look to their leaders. And they, they make these promises of these billions that are going to be spent. And disillusioned, they become angry. And frustrated. Conspiracies abound. Fake news daily appears. And there is darkness and a fearful gloom and distress. You know, my friends, what a prophetic word. Not just for Israel and not just for the world of the 7th century B.C., but for our nation, for God's people, and our world in the 21st century. And that only affirms and confirms what we said when we began our little study way back in September at the basics of the faith, that people are spiritually in darkness, that people by nature are spiritually removed from God, that there is this shadow of, of, of blindness that pervades our society and pervades our world. And actually, in the midst of all the intellectual information we have, in the midst of all the technology that abounds, in the midst of all the worldly wisdom that's fleeing about the air, at the end of the day, men and women without God are spiritually blind and they have no hope. The folks who put the Christmas trees up and the decorations and turn the little balconies into Santa's Grotto in November, and I'm not condemning them for that. I understand very well why in many ways they do that. But those same decorations and everything else will eventually have to come down and their lives will not have changed. And we, like Isaiah and his children, 
are to be signs and symbols in our land from the Lord Almighty who dwells on Mount Zion. The great light only makes sense when we understand what the writer means when he says the people walk in darkness. Let's sing together a hymn that reminds us of that. Great is the darkness that covers the earth, oppression, injustice, and pain. And we'll stand to sing. And you know, my friends, sometimes when we're reading the Bible, we miss sometimes maybe what might appear to be a little insignificant word, but vital. Look what it says at the beginning of chapter 9, after giving a very, very accurate description, not only of Israel and of the society and the communities and nations round about then, but I would have to suggest a very insightful insight into our contemporary church society and world, this little phrase, nevertheless. You see, my friends, that's what we have to loudly proclaim over this festive season. We live in a time, particularly this year, of all years, where promises are being made. Obviously, often people at Christmas make promises to loved ones, to family. Some people make promises to their children about this and that and other they're going to get. And the consequence of making their promises either is that they're either going to have to break them because they don't have the resources, or they're going to have to get themselves into debt in order to be able to fund the resources. You know that Elizabeth and others have some connection with one or two poorer families within our community. And they find that pressure to conform, to give to their kids what everybody else round about and the recipe of life is telling them that they need to have and how oppressive and how destructive that is and how it robs people of any sense of what the joy of this season is meant to be about. But the God that we worship at the heart of the Christmas story says to us, despite all of that, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, for the people walking darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of a deep darkness, a light has dawned, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. I remember when my mum passed away, and most of you will know that Gregor was born just the, the day after that event. In fact, I was going over to see my dad and the minister and to put the kettle on for um, him coming to talk about mom's funeral, but we had to have a little detour via Rutherford Maternity Hospital. And so we dropped off Elizabeth there and just opened the door and shoved her out as one as one, you know. And then we got to the house and I got Colin in front of Playbus that was on the telly then. I don't know what they watch now, but Playbus was on the telly then. I got the cups and sauce, the good china out and all the rest of it. And then I got the phone call to say I need to get back down to the hospital. You didn't waste any time, dear. That was certainly, yeah, that was very appreciated. It really was. Get it over quick, you know. And, and we had to go down and see Greg would be born. And I got back up home, guess what, just in time to make tea for the minister. <laughs> the gift of a child. Certainly know my father saw in Gregor that there is a time to be born, but there's also a time to die. A child, a symbol of a new beginning, of a new life, of a future. And how, my friends, our nation needs to hear that 
today are politicians, to be fair, sensing what we've been reading, humanly speaking, aware of the frustration and the anguish and the disappointment. To be fair to them, I'd have to say, in their own ways, are trying to offer to our nation a future. I wouldn't want to decry them. How I do that, I'm invite them to come and speak here at the church. So I wouldn't want to decry them of what they're doing. But you know, I've been, oh, I'm old enough now. We were counting up the other night how many General Elizabeth was impressed by my knowledge of prime ministers. We're watching the first episode of The Crown, and I was able to tell her all the prime ministers that had been and gone. Anthony Eaton was high in drugs during the Suez Crisis and everything else. Not that I lived there. Hasten to add, I was not present at the Suez Crisis. I wasn't there. It wasn't even a twinkle mum and dad's eye at that point. But despite their best intentions, and we have to be careful, we don't allow the cynicism and the fake use of our world to cause us to think that they're all just a bunch of sharks up to their own interests. I think we have to be careful about that. But despite their best promises, we as children of the living God, as people who are to be signs and symbols in the world, in the nation of the Lord Almighty, we have to testify to the fact that there's only one who truly has the recipe, the, 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 the agenda, the program for a new heaven and a new earth. And that's the child, the son, whose government brings in wonderful counselor, who is the mighty God, who draws people into a knowledge of the everlasting Father and who is the Prince of Peace. Here is the child of the promise. He is the one who heralds, not Brexit or Remain, but the kingdom of God. He is the one who is God with us. Emmanuel. He is the one who's called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The things that darken, the things that destroy, the things that damage, the things that imprison, the things that bring about the distress and the darkness and the fearful gloom. Only God and Jesus Christ has the power to do something about that. And how do we know that? Well, because Jesus, at the beginning of his public ministry, We're told he went and lived in Capernaum, which is by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, Matthew chapter 4, and there we quote, land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Here's the Jesus who said, I am the light of the world, and he who lives in me and lives with me will never walk in darkness again. Here's the Jesus who comes to confront the powers of darkness. The same John says people don't go to the light because they prefer their darkness because their deeds are evil. But here's the Jesus who confronts that darkness, the darkness that cannot either overcome or understand the one who is the light of life. He is the one who comes to set the captive free, to give sight to the blind, to the hope to those who despair, 
forgiveness to those who are only too conscious of their sinfulness and brokenness. This is this little bundle. We've all held a little baby in our arms. Even if we've not been blessed with children ourselves, somewhere along the line we've held a baby in our arms. And especially in these days, as maybe we hold a baby, we must be getting kind of grandpa-ish mood, but you know, and you just look at a wee one. And you think, what's life going to be like for that child in the 2040s, the 2050s, the 2060s, the 2070s? There's children being born now who might well see the millennium of the 22nd century. And I remember the phrase, I think my mum used to say, I'm glad I'm going out the world, not coming in. And now I begin to understand what she meant. And we wonder. And we're concerned but our hearts must not be filled with fear for the government is on his shoulders. He is the one who is in charge. He is the one who in the book of Revelation holds that scroll of human history. He's the one who's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. In him, there is that divine counsel and wisdom of God. In him is God entering in to the realities of our world, not like the other faiths or philosophies or religions that tells us how we've got to try to somehow get up there. Love came down, love came down at Christmas. Love incarnate, love divine. He's the one who's the Prince of Peace, who brings that reconciliation that alone God can do in Christ between us and the Holy God and between us and other people. He is the one who brings in the kingdom. Little baby, born in Bethlehem, the man of sorrows, hanging, bruised and beaten and bloodied on the cross, the Lord of glory coming with his holy angels to judge the living and the dead. This is the light of the world. Meekness and majesty, manhood and deity, in perfect harmony, the man who is God. And that's our calling like Isaiah's, to be signs and symbols in the land from the Lord Almighty. This is our God. Are we stirred by that this morning? Are we encouraged by that? Are we motivated by that calling? Because that is our calling, not just at Christmas time, but all the times of our lives. And as I said earlier at the beginning, when these verses are read, often we miss out a big chunk the bit about you have enlarged the nation, verse 3 of chapter 9, and increased their joy. They rejoiced before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yokes that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every as warrior's boot used in battle, and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. And one can understand, perhaps, especially the bit about warrior's boots and garments and blood. What's Maybe not just very, you know, Christmassy, let's be honest. At least that's what society would say. But it is at the very heart of what God is doing at this Advent season. The season of Christmas doesn't begin to Christmas Day. This Advent season, where we think of Him coming in glory, 
and in might and in power. Yes, as the, as the Apostles' Creed says, to judge the living and the dead. And that even here is spoken of. Here is a God who is involved in the events of history. What's going to happen is that the southern kingdom of Judah is for a season going to have a respite. There's going to be kings that are going to rise, that are going to enable Israel to fight off their enemies and for a period to have peace. But the sad truth is that you know and I know, we've seen the box sets, we've watched the miniseries, we know what happens during that period of peace despite the efforts of some of the kings and some of the prophets, or all the prophets, they didn't heed what God was saying and judgment was going to fall. The northern kingdom of Israel had gone, the southern kingdom of Judah, where David's throne was established, would fall, and they would all end up in exile. But even then, the prophet says, in the midst of all this book that warns of God's judgment, that there will be a remnant, that there will be a remnant. Indeed, one of the sons is to be called that the son that Isaiah is going to bear, a remnant. And God is going to keep his people, and at the last, the warrior's boot used in battle, the garments rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire, the yoke that burdens people will be shattered, the bar across their shoulders will be lifted. And as people rejoice at the harvest, so the warriors will rejoice. There will be hope. And in a world where the judgments of God are being worked out through human history, where the events we hear about and we see and we watch online or in a paper or whatever form we, we look at today, we look at these things in a sense. I remember my minister David Eason always saying, you should have the paper, just shows again, he's talking from the 1980s, you have the newspaper in one hand and the Bible in the other. And as we see these things and are aware of these things, we have to remember that in the midst of all that happens in the world, the ebb and flow, the rise and fall of nations, and the various calamities which as a nation we have been spared from in the past, but we need not, we should not like Israel think that means that we're going to be spared off from the future. That was Judah's failing. The Christian West will be okay. And the ebb and flow of the events of our lives and of our world. There is one who will come and roll up the garments of war and destroy the warrior's boot. And next Sunday, the first Sunday of Advent, we'll look back at the prophet Isaiah chapter 2 at more clearly what that will mean. Alongside judgment, there is hope. That's true in life, isn't it? As we bring up our families. Yes, we get crosswinds. Uh, we were talking about doing this parenting course and as I said to Karen, I'm not sure I was the right, one of the right people to be involved in leading it because I actually think, and this is borderline, so I might get arrested by the police and taken away next week. I don't think there's anything wrong. If a child doesn't, you know, doesn't stop doing what they're not supposed to be doing and it's dangerous, you know. But that's against the law now, I think, isn't it? But why do we do that? You know? We do that rightly for a good parent because we love them. Because we don't want them to be, we don't punish them because we enjoy it. It's upsetting. Or at least it should be. If it's not upsetting, you have got a problem. 
but we take sanctions sometimes because discipline forms the structure in which our children grow up to become healthy and sensible and well-balanced human beings. And for all, sometimes my two sons have frustrated me. I thank God that's what they are. Neither of them are here today, so they can't defend themselves. <laughs> Judgment always comes with hope, with the promise of a new beginning, with a hug as well as a spank, with outstretched arms, as well as at times. Just, I think you could have quite a stern face. That might be enough for your kids. That's fine. Thank God it is. And that's the heart of the gospel. And that's at the heart of the promise of Christmas. Let's worship that God together as we sing together a version the old paraphrase version of these verses. The race that long in darkness pined has seen a glorious light. The people dwell in day who dwelled in death's surrounding light. And we'll stand to sing as we sing this together. Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.